the year was 1347, and the place was a Genoese outpost located along the Black Sea in the peninsula of the Crimea. Genoa, a merchant town in Italy, had established a merchant empire in the known world, and here was in this little outpost along the Black Sea a... uh, a marketplace that was fortified to protect the merchants. It was in 1347 that the the Kipchaks, and the Kipchaks were a group of people that had Mongol ancestry. So um, the Mongol Empire that was primarily in the area of Russia had come down and surrounded this, this merchant city to siege it. During the siege, the Kipchaks had installed a new kind of warfare. They had taken the corpses of diseased bodies, attached them to catapults, and launched them over the walls at the warriors. Some of you are thinking, where are you going with this? The diseased bodies were sick with a disease that came from flea-infested rats. There was a group of merchants that was in this Genoese uh, place that had escaped on a boat and made their way back to Genoa on the western shore of Italy. And they brought with them the Black Death. And within four years, an estimated one-quarter to one-third of the population of Europe died. It's the greatest plague in the history of mankind. It's the greatest biological plague that we have ever known. But as I look at our passage this morning in Romans 16, I see a far greater plague, a far more tragic plague. The consequences of this plague lead to spiritual death, eternal separation from God forever. It's the plague of false teaching. It's the plague of false teachers. And for 20 centuries, for 2,000 years, false teaching has been plaguing the church of Jesus Christ. The danger today, like if you have one of these, if you have one of these, is that false teaching is more accessible now than it has ever been. You can put anything on the internet. You can post any kind of video, and people will usually watch it. At first glance in Romans 16, you might be hearing, you know, talk about plagues and false teachers and all those things and think, aren't we at the end of the letter? Aren't we in the conclusion? Aren't we in the 
section where Paul was saying, send my greetings to this person and that person, and hey, Timothy and, and um, Erastus, they send their greetings, you know, all these kind of like final thoughts. Well, sandwiched in between these final words that Paul writes, he gives one final warning to the church in Rome. And I think it's a very appropriate warning. It's as if, as Paul was wrapping things up, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul was moved to say to the Roman church one more time, be careful. And what's different about this warning than some of the other warnings that we have come across in Romans, this one is very direct. It's forceful. There's some apostolic weight behind it. Let me read these verses for you. Paul says, Now I urge you, I'm reading verse 17 in Romans 16, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. In this final exhortation, Paul challenges the church in Rome to be on the alert, to be on the lookout. And so what we have in front of us is a warning passage. And it wasn't just for the Roman church, it's for us today in the church to be on alert, to look around and and, and be cautious I think it's fitting that Paul ends with a warning because what he has done for 15 chapters especially, but it even carries its way into chapter 16. For 16 chapters of a letter, Paul has masterfully taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a way that we don't read anywhere else in Scripture, we have the gospel of God clearly declared and spelled out and brought before us. We're going to read next, or well, in two weeks, because next week Dale Mord is going to be preaching. In two weeks, as Paul finishes this letter with a final benediction, he shares to the church in verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish, establish you according to my gospel. The 16 chapters of him laboring through the theological truths of what it means that Jesus came to be our righteousness. And it is only in faith in Jesus that we have the righteousness of God and that we who were dead in our sins and trespasses are made alive through faith in Jesus. Paul says, protect that message. Guard it. Be on the alert. Because false teachers will come in and try to devour and try to discourage and try to uh, get us to think differently about things that we know to be true about the gospel of God. And so we are called to protect the truth and to keep it 
on guard from the pollution and contamination of the false truths that Satan, that's the thing that we need to understand here in this passage. False truths that come from false teachers aren't just coming from the minds of men, but they are coming from the power of Satan himself that is trying to discourage and dissuade and to confuse the people of God for what we know to be true in Jesus Christ. Paul says, protect that. Because Satan is trying to blind our eyes. Listen, as we look at these verses this morning, I implore you to heed Paul's warnings here. There's an enemy of God's truth out there this morning. And it's often veiled in half-truths. Something that sounds right. Something that, oh wait, I, I think I've heard that before. But listen, a half-truth is no truth at all. There's no such thing as a half-truth. It's either true or it's not. And we need to be discerning and careful. Because their teaching is satanically influenced. And God is wanting us to be faithful to Him and His truth. And so we should take great comfort this morning that our defense of the gospel is secure in the already present victory of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being with me this morning, Brian. (laughs) That our defense of the gospel is already secure in the already present victory of Christ over Satan. Thank you. But we want to unpack these verses a little bit as we develop this thought. It begins with that urgent call in verse 17. I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those. The language here is clear. Be alert. Watch out. Paul is calling for spiritual vigilance so that the church in Rome will recognize a false teacher when they arrive. We need to recognize it. And it's not just this like queasy feeling in our, our tummies, right? That's like, oh, you know, this doesn't feel right. No, we're, we're talking about being alert, watching out, listening for what we hear and knowing that it is not true from the Scriptures. We need to be alert and keep our eyes on those Because they will arrive. They will arrive. We often think that Satan is at work in the outside world, right? Like in the world. He's the God of this age, as the scriptures say. Yes, he's at work. He is. But he's often directing his attention at God's people in the church. He is, as the scriptures say, a ravenous, raging lion seeking to devour those who are of God. He's coming after you. He's coming after the gospel. He's coming after the work of Christ in your life. And Paul is using this forceful language because he is aware 
of the havoc that false teachers create in the church of Jesus. And here's the thing. Like, this is another layer to this and this warning. It's not Paul sternly pointing a finger through the text that he's writing at the church. You be careful. No, what he's doing is he loves these people. He cares for them. We've been discussing his pastoral heart for this church, for these people that he wished he could be with. He longed to see, but he had heard of their faith. The report came back to him of how secure they've been in the gospel. And he says, listen, I implore you because I love you in Christ. I love you in Christ. Be careful. Watch out. Because they're coming for you. And he says we keep our eyes open for those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. Their characteristics, the characteristics of false teachers are causing dissension. Now this word dissension comes from a compound Greek word that means to and stands. These are two stand kind of people. Said another way, they create camps. They divide. They have a group over here and a group over here. Right? They often create church splits. They often divide. They're not building up anything. They're dividing. They're dividing God's people into these groups. And they also create hindrances or obstacles to trip up those who will, they're hoping will fall away from the faith. I mean, we're talking about people that spew heresy. What do I mean by heresy? You know, we hear that term sometimes in churches or when we read something and we think, oh, that happened in you know, church history a long time ago. No, there's heresy or heretical thoughts all the time happening in the world today. Heresy is not merely an error, but it's a truth that actually tries to destroy someone's faith. Heresy are truths that contradict what we usually refer to as orthodox teachings of the church. What I mean by orthodox is plain or common teachings, that the, the teachings of the apostles, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the early church that were held in high regard as the things that God wants us to know about him. What are some of those things? Well, heretical teachings are those things that are contrary to teachings like the virgin birth of Christ. Or that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. Or that all people are sinful. Oh man, that's a big one today. There's a lot of false teaching that says, you know, we're not really that bad. Or that Christ is the only sufficient Savior. Or that God's Word isn't really inspired or completely without error. Or most importantly, that the cross isn't really the basis of our salvation. And there's more and more I could add to this list. But heresy is not a discussion of issues like the timing of the rapture or the objects of Christ's atonement. You know, some things that we're going to have to agree to disagree on in the church. But because Jesus is who he is and we believe in him, we can disagree and still be in Christ 
We're talking about building camps and, and divisions over core doctrines of the Christian faith that point us to the work of Christ and the cross. Now listen, there's also a difference between a wrong teaching and a false teacher. I I would love to say in 20 years of pastoral ministry, everything I've said has been absolutely, completely true, 100%. And I would hope so. That's my aim. But I would also say this, that I can't guarantee that I've always had a complete understanding of the doctrines that I was hoping to communicate. A false teacher, though, is something different than a wrong teaching because a false teacher will not be corrected. And we have an example of this, and we talked about this in a, in a very vague way last week when we talked about Priscilla and Aquila in the, the opening verses of Romans 16 when, when Paul says, I send my greetings to them. If you remember, Priscilla and Aquila ministered with Paul when he was in the area of Greece, and he had met them because they were tent makers, and they were expelled from Rome. And as they were there and ministered with Paul, Paul went off, and then they went their direction. And when they went their direction, they found themselves in the synagogue one day, and there was a guy in there named Apollos, and Apollos was teaching. And when he was teaching, he was teaching the things about John the Baptist, And Priscilla and Aquila invited him out, and they said, hey, we want to talk to you. Come to our house. We need to talk to you about the gospel. And so they corrected him. And what do we know about Apollos? Yes, he had a wrong teaching, but he came under the direction of right teaching, and he became useful to the early church. He was commended for his ability to communicate the gospel. So there's a difference there. We're talking about people, though, that are willfully teaching a wrong truth to divide God's people and to trip them up so that they would fall away. And so what does Paul say in verse 17? He says the only thing that we can do is turn away from them. Like there's language of repentance there. Turn away. Like if they're there, you're not leaning in. You're not even looking. You're turning away. You're not even giving them an audience. You don't even see them. And when Paul says, turn away from them, he does it in the present tense. Said another way, Paul is saying, keep on turning away from false teachers. Consciously turn away and do not give them an audience. Listen, the biggest problem that has occurred from false teachers is that we give an audience to them. We listen to them. We dabble in what they say and think, well, that sounds all right. If we would turn away from them and they had no audience, we would choke them from the opportunity of spewing their heresy. When we perk our ears up, we give occasion for their damaging thoughts. And part of the responsibility of the shepherds that God has entrusted for you. And when I talk about shepherds, I'm talking about your pastors like me and Pastor Dustin and our elders. Part of the job that we have in the spiritual care for you is to protect you from false teaching. And so what that means is if you're listening to something, if you hear something, if you have a question about something, You can come to us and ask us, what do you think? 
And it might be true. It just might be something that you've never heard before. But we want to be able to care for your soul that way and protect you. And if we say to you, avoid it, avoid it. Listen, Satan is competing with God for the affections of your mind and heart. Don't give him a foothold. Turn away. What Paul does here is much like what he does earlier in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, after spending a considerable time in Ephesus, and he goes back, he's visiting um, in Ephesus on his third missionary journey to, to check in, he calls for the elders to come and meet him. And what does Paul say to the elders in Acts chapter 20? Well, in verses 28 through 30, he says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of God, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so if I can just for a second speak to our elders, this is your task. Your task is to be on guard and be on guard for the flock. Why? Because this is what Paul says. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Elders, your primary task in caring for the flock of God is to be on alert for the people that God has entrusted to us. Watch over them. Watch out. You should understand. You should know what's going on in the culture and community around us as false teachers are coming in, and there's plenty of them. And that can seem like an exhausting work. It's like, oh gosh, I not only have to know the Scriptures, but I have to also know everything else that they're teaching. But they're under our care. This church, this precious church is under our care. In verse 18, Paul says about these men, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The false teachers are not true followers of Jesus, They're not slaves of Christ. We talked about what it means to be a slave in Christ or a slave of Christ earlier in Romans as we were called a doulos, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. These false teachers are not slaves of Christ. What are they? Paul says that they are slaves of their own appetites. That word appetite means belly. They're a slave of their belly. They teach and divide and devour for their own gain, for their own comfort, for their own prominence, for their own name. 
listen, false teaching that makes its way into the church doesn't come prepackaged as a blatant lie. If it was a blatant lie, we would say, oh no, avoid that. No, they come in, as Paul says, right, with smooth and flattery speech. What they say sounds good. It seems over the top. But the source is purely selfish. And there is no desire of glorifying the Lord as its highest good. Their God is their stomachs. They build their own kingdoms. They don't build God's kingdom. Especially today, in the American church, there are many spiritual empires that are built contrary to the kingdom of God. It's evident. And there are these teachers that come along to steal the hearts and affections away of God's people from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've talked about one of them before, but one of the most well-known false teachers today is a guy who has smooth and flattering speech. He comes across as real likable, real engaging, causes you to lean in, He makes you feel good about what he has to say. He has been referred to as America's preacher. His name is Joel Osteen. Listen, this guy isn't just wrong about secondary things. This guy is a false teacher. He is clearly wrong on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to show you a clip from an interview he gave 15 years ago. This is 15 years ago, and he has been building a kingdom for 15 more years based on the foundation of what he's saying. He gave it to Larry King on a national network kind of interview. And Larry King, if you know, he's now no longer alive, but Larry King was Jewish. So you have a Jew questioning this pastor about spiritual things and listen to what they talk about. Mike, put it up there. The essence of the Christian faith. Hey, we live in deeds. I don't know. What do you mean by that? I don't know. Well, because uh, we've had ministers on who said, your record don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ... You are, you are going to heaven, and if you don't, no matter what you've done in your life, yeah. you ain't. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, there's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. And I think it's a cop-out to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever do anything to help What if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? You know, I, I just, I'm very careful about saying who and would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. I think only God. If you believe, you have to believe in Christ. I believe. They're wrong, aren't they? Well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. But I just think that only God can judge a person's heart. I've spent a lot of time in India with my father, and, uh, you know, I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. And I don't know. I'd have to, you know, I've seen their sincerity, so... I don't know. I just, I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. But. 
I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. I, 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 answer the question. What does he do with John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does he do about Romans 1, 16 and 17? When Paul says this about the gospel that he has just spent chapter upon chapter defending. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I don't know why we give this man our attention because he has no basis for what he is saying. Listen, that guy that's preaching to thousands upon thousands of people, I looked on YouTube this week, he has over 2 million followers. That guy doesn't care for your soul like the elders of this church care for your soul. Don't give them, don't give him a foothold. There's another guy I want to bring up. I'm only bringing up two. I could go on and on about this, but we're about Christ here. But I want you to be aware of another guy. He's had a lot of influence in evangelical communities for the last five to ten years. He has 2.34 million subscribers on his YouTube page. He's hip. He's a great orator. And his name is Stephen Furtick. And yes, he's a false teacher. Some of you are Googling, who is Stephen Furtick? He, he, he looks like a bodybuilder now. Ten years ago, he was my size. Now, the dude is jacked. Like, I don't know if I want to get into a physical fight, but I'll get into a doctrinal fight with him. He's high energy. He's engaging. If you're on Facebook, you've probably seen someone or somehow a clip from him. In a sermon from just a few months ago, Furtick said that the process, of disciple, the process of discipleship is not God changing you into something else. It's revealing who you've been all along. What? That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. What do you do about 2 Corinthians 5.17 where Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, not a, oh, I found out who I was creation. No, you're dead in your sins and transgressions. And in Christ and through his righteousness alone, you are the righteousness of God, a new creation. But what he said sounded like a half-truth, but a half-truth is not a truth at all. He went, he went in a different sermon from 2020, and I had to read it again when I came across this. I'm like, really? But he was talking about the presence of God and the doctrine of omnipresence. Right In Psalm 139, David says that God is everywhere. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. When I descend into the depths of Sheol, you are there as well. That we know that the orthodox doctrine of the, the teachings of Scripture is that God is everywhere. But he says this about God in this sermon from 2020. He says, God is energy. 
God is a molecular structure that fills all in all. What? God is energy? God is not energy. God is spirit. Spirit, John 4.24, has a personality. Energy has no personality. The idea that God is energy comes from the heretical doctrine of pantheism. And pantheism teaches that the energy of God is essentially in all things. And what it teaches is that we are really like God. That's not even close to being true biblically. The danger is that they present a half-truth that invites us in. It, It causes us to lean in and say, hey, that sounds right. I heard my pastor say that before. And then you lean in a little further and think, wow, now I've heard something I'd never heard. Maybe this guy has some kind of inspiration that nobody else has had for 2,000 years. But you know what? All false teachers are doing is rewriting the same lines and prepackaging it with new words. They've been doing this for 2,000 years. And what do they do? Their focus is on deceiving the hearts of the unsuspecting as Paul says. It's comforting, it's soothing, but it doesn't reveal the real truth of who God is and what it means to be his disciple and follow him. Paul's warning is that we would not be unsuspecting. We need to be suspecting. We need to check things out. And when we don't know, we go to trusted people so that they can help us check those things out. We need to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 when Paul visited them. They were daily searching the scriptures for what they had heard taught in the Old Testament. They wanted to make sure. They were fact checkers. And they did a good job with it. Listen, we're finishing up Romans in a few weeks. I promise you we are. We've been in this book for almost two years. Some of you are new to the church, and I said this before. You, you might not even know there's any other Bible books in, in, in the Bible because we've been in Romans so long. But listen, there's a reason why we take this careful, cautious study through the Scriptures, looking at what God has said, because we believe the Scriptures reveal what it means to have a relationship with God and to have a life of faith and godliness. I'm not saying I know everything. I'm not saying that. But my highest concern for those under my care are that you know Jesus as the true and living Savior. And that you know God's Word as the only sufficient truth to guide your life. We will not be ashamed for preaching the sufficiency of Christ. And sometimes when we preach the Word of God, it will cut your heart. It's not going to just step on your toes. Sometimes the truth of God crushes how we're living, what we're thinking. And you know what? That's what God intended it to do because he wants to conform you to the image of his son and not be conformed to the things of this world. 
But as the word of God cuts your heart, you will always find grace to overcome in the power of Jesus. God will always give you what you need to overcome. In verse 19, Paul says, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent and what is evil. Paul could write this warning with expectation because this church was known for their faithfulness in the gospel. He rejoices over them. He sings a song of thanks over them. Paul challenges them, though, to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Innocent means unmixed. This word innocent that Paul uses in in this letter comes from a Greek word that means undiluted or pure wine. It wasn't mixed with everything else. Paul wants his readers to be wise concerning all good. He wants us to know the truth and be innocent only regarding evil. Discern what is good from evil. The pursuit of theological truth should be a desire you have as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The loss of theological concern is often the first step that churches take when they go down that slippery slope of abandoning the true gospel of Jesus. They lose theological concern from what God has said in the Word, and they make their messages palatable to the world around them. What do I mean by palatable? It doesn't cut you. It doesn't step on toes. It's not urgent. Listen, programs are important. Activities, fellowship, all important. But an affinity for God's truth should be of the primary focus of God's church. Why? Because it protects you as God's child from the attacks of false teachers. And these false teachers find their root in Satan himself. Look at verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now Paul doesn't say specifically And the root of their teaching is Satan himself. But the thought that he carries through is there's attacks coming. They're seeking to devour. But take heart. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Not just the false teachers, but Satan himself. What a promise that is. And I believe it's a twofold promise. In the near future, as the Roman believers cling to the truth of the gospel and turn away from false teachers, Satan and his influence on the church will be crushed. And in the future, Satan himself will be crushed by Jesus himself at his second coming after he is bound for a thousand years and at the end of that thousand years is bound up and thrown into the lake of fire forever. But there's also another reality, and it's found in Colossians 2.15. In Colossians 2.15, Paul says, When he, referring to Jesus, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, when did he do this? At the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he disarmed Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. He 
He, it's not like he's not going to win. He already lost. And you might think, well, if that's true, then why are there so many false teachers today? Because he wants to drag as many people down with him. And so he influences those who have not received Christ who want to be in the ministry for their own bellies to discourage more people from the truth of God. I said on my Facebook post this, this week referring to you know, the YouTube link. We're going to learn about that Satan is a loser. He's a loser. He's not going to win. God's truth stands. There's also an interesting connection here with Paul with what Paul says when he says the God of grace or the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That sounds like language that's found elsewhere in the scripture. It's found in Genesis 3:15 which is referred to as the proto-evangelium. It's in Genesis 3:15 that we see that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's the promise of Jesus. That's the first utterance of the gospel in the scriptures. That it's not just that Satan will be bound and diminished. He is crushed, obliterated from the opportunity to dethrone God. And yet we give an occasion for his teachings. We give an audience to the heresy that seeks to trip us up. But Satan will not win. God's righteousness received by faith in Jesus who paid for our sins through his death on the cross wins. So what does this mean? It means hide yourself in Jesus Christ. Cling to the truth of the gospel. Search the scriptures. Examine what you read and hear through the filter of God's truth. And when you're not sure, ask me or Pastor Dustin or one of our elders. Listen, the influence of many false teachers is coming to you through secondary means. It's not like you're getting in your car and you're driving to their place and sitting right in front of them. It's, oh, I'm flicking through my news feed and oh, there's a 30 second video and it got a couple thousand likes. Let me see what it's about. And you're listening. Or the New York Times says, hey, this book is a bestseller. And you think, well, I need a book to read. I like to read, so maybe I'll choose this one. Everyone else seems to be reading it. It's coming to you through secondary means. And when you do so, you're giving Satan a foothold into your heart. These false teachers have no connection with you. They don't care about you. They don't. So what does Paul say as he wraps this all up? Be on the alert. Be careful. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. God's grace will always be enough for you. 
You don't need anything else. Amen and amen. Let's pray.